love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Women Podcast. I'm Alyssa Gadeski, joined by my co-host extraordinaire, extraordinaire, Haley Chura. Haley, how's it going? Last week was a big week for you with a new bike. Um, I did see some pictures on Instagram of that beauty. So tell me, how's it been going? Um, yeah, has it been ridden a few times? Are you? What's your take on having electronic shifting finally now? What's what's the deal? What's the verdict? Oh, Alyssa, it has been a big week. So we I talked to you early last week. I hadn't yet ridden my bike outside, but I did make it outside. I think the new cassette showed up on like Tuesday night. So I think I got it on there Wednesday. We have had fantastic weather here in Bozeman. It has been a very smoky summer, but the smoke finally lifted and we got a couple beautiful days. And so I've been out several times. I've ridden all the hills. I've tested it climbing. I've tested it descending. It does blow my mind a little bit to be able to shift when I'm out of the saddle climbing. I mean, I think that was the biggest difference. Um, But it's also probably one of those things where it becomes so normal so quickly that I'm just like, oh, now it feels like I always had this. But um, yes, I feel very spoiled. It's it's wonderful. It's beautiful. I'm so far, like, you know, a few days in committed to keeping it clean. <laughs> so I'm trying. I'm trying. It's one of those like new toys where I'm like, don't let it get dirty. But um, yeah, I'm I mean, for right now, I'm I don't have any regrets. I'm I'm really enjoying the new bike. My it's a Quintana Roo PR6 to disc for anyone who didn't listen to last week's episode green and yellow of course for diamond multi-sport my favorite uh triathlon club with electronic shifting and disc brakes and tubeless wheels which Alyssa, during today's interview we talked to kendall gretch who's a paralympic gold medalist and we asked her about some gear because again i'm i'm all about the gear right now and we asked about like tire pressure and This is an interesting one because I have these new head tires or head wheels, right? Head wheels with, I'm not sure the brand of tires, but it says directly on the wheel that if they're tubeless, you should only fill them up to 75 PSI, which feels very low. And I was nervous because I was like, oh no, am I going to get a flat? Is this going to feel really slow? Am I going to feel like I'm just going through like sludge? And it feels great. Like I almost, I rode like the same routes that I would normally ride, but I did feel like there was like less vibration and it might just be like the good vibes. Like honestly, that I'm just like emanating from a large new purchase, but, um, you know, I, maybe there's something to it, you know, and I don't think I was any slower. That's awesome. I got made fun of a little bit from my mountain bike friends when I was setting up my mountain bike. And like the first few times they would meet me to ride, I'm like pumping away at my mountain bike tires. And like my friend would come over and she's Shannon would be like, press on me. She's like, Oh my God, you cannot ride these like rock hard wheels. Like what is your tire pressure? I'm like, there's, I, I literally be like, there's no way I can ride like 27 or whatever. Someone said, I was like, it's too soft. Like, it just feels like it's a flat. Like I can't mentally get my head around that. And so it's, I've come a long way, at least with the mountain bike tires, because I did realize that pumping them really high, I was like bouncing off of things and that was not productive <laughs> at all. <laughs> but um, on on the roads, I have, I've slowly, I, I will admit, I probably haven't 
gotten down to 75 yet, but I've been in like the 85, 90 range and do find that like, once you're riding, it feels good. Right. But like, you do have to have good wheels, good tires on there. Um, and stuff like that for, for that to, you know, come together, I think, but that's fun. I'm so excited. It's working out well for you and you're having fun and enjoying fall weather. We've been getting some good fall weather here in new England too. And that's definitely winning me over and, uh, getting me, getting me in the mood for some, yeah. Cider and donuts, cider donuts, all of the above. That's such a New England, <laughs> New England thing. I, I like. It sounds delicious. I, I haven't. I don't think I've ever really experienced it, but I think I would like. I would enjoy that, like riding to get a cider donut. Uh, Alyssa, the other big news last week that came out just after we released last week's episode was Kona being moved to St. George in May of 2022. What are your thoughts on on this change? Well, one of my first thoughts is like, I think this is great for Haley because I know that you like this course. You have the swim course record there, right? So was yeah. that, did yeah. Lucy, did, yeah, no, yeah, I right? still have it. Okay. Can you believe oh, that? So, yeah. Lucy didn't, I, mean, I, I, I had a few it. people who like text me afterwards. Like, did Lucy break your swim course record? And I was like, thank you, Quintana Roo wetsuit. <laughs> course record holder. Okay. Yeah. I need, I don't know if, uh. Rachel Zelinskis, who won, I think she won the 25, 29 age group. Right. And, um, I, she posts, she swam at the university of Georgia about 10 years behind me. She's good friends with Emily Cameron, who we had on the show a few, um, months ago, I think. And so I think say she's something she posted online about, thank you, Georgia distance group for, um, you know, helping me get that 25 minute swim in St. George. And I trolled a little bit. <laughs> I'm not normally a Twitter troll, but I did troll a little bit. I don't think anyone actually saw it, but I, I was like, oh, thank you, Georgia Swim and Dive Backstroke Group for helping me get that 2350 course record. <laughs> <Still stands. laughs> I am going to live up this course record for as long as I possibly can. <laughs> that is like, it'll Heck be yeah, on my tombstone. <laughs> Well, that is super exciting. I mean, that was truly one of the first things I thought when I saw the news about Kona. And so um, for pros, you know, age groupers who had qualified for the February race were given the opportunity to choose between that St. George race and the October race that will be in Kona. But the pros are going to St. George in May for that 2021 2020 turned 2021 turned 2022 edition of the the world championships and i i'm really excited for you i don't know i haven't talked to you so i don't know if you're as excited as i am for you about the change in venue but i do think it's a good course for you you know that course you you, you know you do well there and i think um i think it will be you know a good thing i think it's i think it's a good pick i'm it's a little weird to feel like we've picked a world championships venue based on what cities and towns are open to it during a global, global pandemic. Um, but you know, that thought aside, I think St. George is a great town for triathlon and will be a great host for, for the race. Yeah. There's Alyssa with the practicality in there, but, um, (laughs) I, yes. So I I really appreciate you having this confidence in me because I, um, I look at my performance in St. St. George and, Unlike Lucy Charles Barclay, I did not go on to then have the fastest bike and fastest run as well on that day. So I may have left a little too much on the swim course. So maybe that just gives me a little bit of um, a push for, for you know, third time's a charm in St. George. I'm I'm a little bit relieved with the May timeframe versus February 5th when it was uh, originally scheduled to be in Hawaii just because... I, I do live in Montana 
And I was like, oh goodness, like I, I can do some long trainer rides, but doing like a lot of six hour rides on the trainer in the winter here is not not exactly how I want to spend the holidays, but I will do it. I would have done it. You know, it's like one year of my life. It's not even, it's like a couple months of my life. And for the experience, I'll do it. But May gives me a little bit more time and gives everyone a little bit in the Northern hemisphere, a little bit more time to uh, get outside and, you know, and, um, and just, a li- you know, and just takes it away from the holiday time frame a little bit, which is a nice thing about our sport, the kind of calendar seasonal year of it usually. But um, Anyway, I I do hope things have have improved by May that we can get everyone from the Southern Hemisphere who might have a few other travel restrictions from, you know, Australia, New Zealand. It's a little bit easier for them to come over and still get get back home. And we just have a really world championship caliber race. And um, I, you know, I think it's one of the best case scenarios for me, given that I, you know, if unless it wasn't going to happen at all because that was sort of what I was starting to think might might be the case. So I will take the win. I'll take it as a legal, as a, a winning proposition at least. Uh, and I can jive there so I can bring so much luggage. No, that's super exciting. Um, and I think the, the other news I was excited to see is that that October race will have um, 50 pro women starting on in the women's race as well as 50 pro men who will start on the women's race is Thursday. The men's race is Saturday. So for the, for the first time, uh, we will have equal pro women and male slots going to the world championships, which uh, is, is an exciting thing. It's long overdue and uh, has been kind of hidden in the news, but um, it's finally happening. You know, I'm not quite sure why we can't just do it in St. George too, but again, I'll take what I can get. <laughs> yes, I know. I know. Why not just do it in St. George too? I think there's plenty of room. Like San yeah, right? Hollow like, has it's a desert. I mean, plenty it's like, of room. Literally a giant, like empty space, right? So we can throw yeah. 15 more women in that race. It will be fine. <laughs> but um, yeah, so um, that is a good point. But like you said, we will celebrate our victories. I had a couple of people reach out and ask about uh, ask about, you know, my thoughts on the women's race being on Thursday. And I personally having raced the 70.3 world championships when the men and women race on separate days, I love it. I love having the pro women's race in the front of the race. And, um, if that means the race is going to happen on a Thursday, that is completely, I mean, no one asked me for, I guess some people did ask me for my opinion. That's why I'm saying this, but no one officially asked me how my opinion, but unofficially, I, I love it. I love the idea that, the pro women will be in the front of the race. And I think that we can make the Thursday race extra, you know, exciting. And, um, and so I do think, uh, you know, I, us pros were not given a choice about deferring to between St. George and in May or Kona in, um, October. And I think the age groupers were, which is great, you know, there's, um, and so we would have to requalify. And so I'm for sure doing St. George in May, but hopefully, hopefully I'll see some familiar faces there. But, um, but yes, I, I, I mean, the people who defer to uh, Kona for next October, I, I, I see your reasoning. And so I hope that that does happen. And, um, I think the two day format will be exciting. Fun changes coming into into the world of triathlon. So exciting to see. Um, glad those announcements got made early and, and people can plan ahead and, and everything. And yeah, hopefully we will have some more worldwide pro competition able to to make it in for that May race. So um, will be fun to watch yeah, the, the winter prep for everyone. Yes. And Alyssa, the qualification for the like 
October Kona race is already like well underway and we've already seen some women qualify, um, a few men too, I guess. <laughs> But um, we know our priorities here on the Iron Women podcast. But um, uh, Sky Monch had an incredible race this last weekend in Chattanooga, coming off of 70.3 Worlds. And um, Laura Phillip, I think when she raced, was it Austria? Like the weekend before, that also had qualified qualifications for October Kona, and she had an incredible race there. So um, we are already seeing people go for those October slots. I, I don't. I don't know off the top of my head how many slots there were in Chattanooga. So um, congrats to everyone who qualified there. There might have been a few. Yeah, I'm not sure either. I think I saw that Mel McQuaid just missed the spot. So I'm not sure if that meant two two spots were there or... Um... Okay, so Gruzzi Frades in second would yeah. have taken the second slot. So, But with 50, like Mel probably have a good shot and congratulations on your podium. That's still fantastic. It was fantastic racing in, in Chattanooga, Augusta, Cozumel. There was a lot of racing. I was very busy on the phone. Yeah. There's a lot of racing coming up. There's, I think my Mayoka is happening in October. I think, um, there's no women's race at Ironman, California. I don't believe, but Ironman, Florida, Ironman, Cozumel. So a lot of long distance, you know, uh, racing still to come this season, which is, is, exciting. So initially it was like, Oh, that window between the two world championships is quite small, but really it's, it's happened. It's starting now. So, um, so yeah, that it's, people will have plenty of time for that October race. Yeah. Alyssa, do we have any mailbag questions? You know, Haley, our mailbag has been a little dry lately. So listeners, listeners, you can change that anytime you would like. We want want a web. We might not be able to finish recording this because Haley is like, I have never seen her laugh this hard. I don't think we're recording this podcast. So you, you can send in. Dry. Yeah, doesn't it dry? Like things dry. Things dry when they're empty. I thought, I don't know, like a well, a well, like I thought of our mailbag as a big well full of mail. Okay. Okay. Well, we want our (laughs) metaphorical well of mail (laughs) to be full of soggy letters. (laughs) The mail well, right into our mail well. Um, But you can you can send us your questions or comments or concerns or anything you would like to tell us um, at ironwomenpodcast at gmail dot com. Yeah, send those in. We love those. So. Um, keep those, keep those coming. Okay. And Alyssa, this podcast is episode is coming out on Thursday, September 30th, the last day of September, which also happens to be the last day to uh, nominate the special women in your triathlon life for the outspoken women in triathlon awards. This is athlete of the year, race director of the year, outspoken woman of the year, media contribution of the year. Um, there's so many categories and there's nine, so it's not that many categories. It's reasonable, but you have to nominate, um, people to win. And if you're listening to this on Thursday, September 30th, you have a few hours. I think they have to be in by like 1159 Pacific. I think I have that right. So, you know, you get a few extra hours if you're on Eastern time or in Europe, but, um, don't delay, get those in because the women can't win unless you nominate them. And I think those, those awards will be announced in, November as part of the Outspoken Summit. And you can go to OutspokenSummit.com for all the details. And Haley, we have a really fun interview for everyone today. Can you tell us about that? I can. So uh, 
people might remember watching the Paralympic Games this last summer, and there was one of the most exciting finishes I've ever seen in my life, and it was in the uh, paratriathlon wheelchair women's event, and it was between American Kendall Gresh and Australian Lauren Parker, and Lauren Parker had been leading the most of the race, and Kendall came around her in the final meters to win the. This was the first ever paratriathlon wheelchair gold medal. So it was an incredible moment. It was an incredible finish. Uh, I think clips of it were floating all over social media. The entire race is totally worth watching. It was incredible. But Kendall covered that 750 meter swim, 20k bike, uh, which she also uses. She uses a hand cycle to cover the bike distance and a five. K run, which she does in her racing wheelchair. She did that in one hour, six minutes and 25 seconds. She crossed that line just one second ahead of Lauren Parker in second place. And while this was Kendall's first paratriathlon gold, she does also actually have two gold medals in the winter Paralympics. She's competed in both biathlon and Nordic skiing in the Pyeongchang games in 2018. So we talked to Kendall about that race in Tokyo, what it felt like to win a gold medal in such an exciting fashion and how she also manages being a two season Paralympic athlete. So we'll have our whole conversation with Kendall right after the break. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Lisa Ringerfield, co-founder of the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit. We are really excited to announce that the Outspoken Summit will be returning in 2021. This year has created an opportunity for triathletes to get back in the blocks and start to rebuild triathlon to create a more inclusive and welcoming space for all. Join us from the 12th to the 14th of November as we host a virtual summit to connect with like-minded women, center women's equity in the sport, hear from industry leaders, and develop leadership skills related to our roles in triathlon. The summit will provide a rich forum to develop strong voices, inspire others, and advocate for change in the sport we love. For more information and to sign up for the event, go to outspokensummit.com. We hope to see you there. Hey, Haley, it's officially fall and I am drinking my noon hydration immunity. <laughs> Alyssa, I love a good pun and a good warm fall beverage, but can you tell me a little bit more about this new Immunity 3 product? What does the 3 stand for? It stands for vitamins, electrolytes, and prebiotics, the three keys to staying healthy and hydrated this season. Noon Hydration Immunity 3 comes in mandarin, orange, and superberry flavors, and all Iron Women podcast listeners can get 30% off Immunity 3 and the whole line of Noon Hydration products by using the code STAYFEISTY at NoonLife.com. Haley, have you ever been jealous of the elite running or cycling groups who are able to get their blood work done super quickly and efficiently because they have a doctor on staff? Yes, I have been jealous. I have a great primary care physician, but I'll admit, sometimes I'm curious about certain blood markers in between my annual doctor visits. Me too, and that's why I'm excited Inside Tracker is here. Inside Tracker is on-demand blood testing. You pick your plan online, schedule your blood draw appointment locally, and get your results within a few days. My favorite part, they don't just give you data, they provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips too. For a limited time, Inside Tracker is offering our listeners 25% off of their entire store. Just go to insidetracker.com slash ironwomen and get started. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast, Paralympic gold medalist, Kendall Gretsch. How are you doing, Kendall? I'm great. Yeah, thank you for having me on, guys. So this was your second Paralympics. You won two gold medals in Pyeongchang, the Winter Olympics in 2018. And 
in, in South Korea, you were racing the 6K biathlon, the 12K cross-country skiing events. But in Tokyo, that was your first summer games. And so these were the first Paralympics also that were going on during a global pandemic. So I'd love to start just by hearing your general impression of the games. Yeah, you know, I think... Um... Kind of leading into it, everyone was a little bit like, oh, you know, it's like it's a game during the pandemic. It's going to be a little bit of a bummer. Friends and family can't be there. There's not going to be spectators. Um, but but yeah, I think as soon as we got there and got to the village, it really did feel pretty normal for me. I think, you know, at this point, everyone's used to wearing a mask. So like wearing a mask around the village, that's not a big deal. You have to get COVID tested. But um, yeah, I think like the Japanese volunteers and the Japanese people were so awesome. And I think they just made up and made the experience so wonderful. Like every single time we were going to our venue or a training site, there were like at least five Japanese volunteers waiting, like waving. They do the this like cute little double wave where they have both of their hands up waving. And um, they're just like so nice and so friendly. They had little gifts that they were giving out. Um, and yeah, and then triathlon, obviously, it's um, an outdoor venue. And so that was lucky for us because a lot of people could just come and line the race course anyway. So there weren't people in the stands besides like other athletes within triathlon and staff. But um, around the whole course, there were Japanese that were watching. And so, um, yeah, I think it kind of exceeded all expectations for me in terms of like it really feeling pretty, pretty normal and a great games experience. That's awesome. And Kendall, the paratriathlon wheelchair or PTWC category made its Paralympic debut in Tokyo. So when did you know that PTWC would be included in the Tokyo schedule? And when did competing there become your personal goal? Yeah, yeah. So um, I think they maybe made the announcement sometime in 2018. It, you know, it was actually like right after the Pyeongchang game. So um, sometime like that spring of 2018 that we found out. Um, so it's not that far in advance of the games that you find out, like confirmed what categories are going to be racing there. Um, and yeah, I, I, at that point I've been competing in paratriathlon for, um, I guess six years at that point. And so, you know, it was something that I, I've been dreaming about since then and wanted to go to games. I just didn't have the opportunity in Rio because my classification wasn't included. So, um, yeah, I, I feel like Tokyo was kind of nine years in the making for me to finally get that opportunity. And so, Kendall, I watched the race and... I think it's worth noting that in the paratri events, men and women are on the course at the same time, but it also gets a little more complicated in the wheelchair category because each gender, there's like two start waves. So basically you have a group of men starting, then a minute later, a group of women, then another men's group, and then the final group of women. And so you started in that final wave and you were, I think, four minutes and four seconds behind your competitors in the first women's wave. Correct. So was it hard to know your position within the race? Yeah. Yeah. So I think... Um... It is a little bit hard or, or maybe it like, I guess at the beginning, you just have to wrap your mind around the fact that like you're starting at the back of the field and you're going to be like you start in the back. Um, and so, yeah, luckily we had coaches that were around the course and they could kind of, they were getting splits and passing on that information to me. So, so yeah, like you, you know that you're starting back and four minutes back, but 
um, I was getting kind of that time and information of where I was exactly like position wise, but also time back from um, first place as well. And what about like just traffic on the course? Because I believe drafting is not allowed. Correct. Yeah. So paratriathlon is draft illegal. And um, yeah, so traffic is definitely hard. I think the bike um, for me, it was actually okay. Um, The roads were pretty wide, so you could kind of like make passes pretty easily. I think it, it got really crowded for me on the run because, yeah, you have men and women on the course at the exact same time. And then you also had motorbikes. So there was a motorbike with each of the top three for both men and women. So you have six motorbikes on the course. And then you also have officials that were on just bikes as well, like in case there was any sort of running violation or penalty that they had to give out. So so it was just crowded and, and not that wide of a course. And so and then obviously in um, being in a wheelchair, it's a little bit wider than if you were just like a runner. Um so yeah, the, the run felt a little bit chaotic and just kind of having to navigate traffic. Um, but yeah, I think everyone was kind of dealing with the same thing out on the race course. And Kendall, you had the fastest women's swim. You did the 750 meter course in just over 11 minutes, but due to the staggered start, you were still more than three minutes off the lead of the race. But within one lap of the four lap 20 kilometer hand cycle course, you had already moved into second place. So was your strategy just to kind of, you know, get to the front as soon as possible? Yeah. I mean, I think that's like, for me, the race is not super tactical. Like my one tactic is kind of all in from the beginning because you have to make up four minutes. And I knew that Lauren, who ended up coming in second, like I knew she was going to be the top racer. And so there wasn't really time to kind of like sit back and maybe hold back and um, yeah, kind of be tactical on passes or anything like that. So, so yeah, um, I think I just knew that I had to be aggressive from the start. So we're triathletes and naturally we love talking about gear. Can you tell us about your hand cycle and like what goes into your decisions about like gearing wheels, tires, brakes? Do you use a power meter? Yes. Yeah. So I have a power meter that was actually, uh, I got a new bike in, 2019 just at the end of that season um and for me that was like one of the biggest upgrades so it was like a newer newer bike frame all carbon bike frame um you'll see on a a lot of hand cycles you'll have the front wheel is a bigger wheel so it will be like 650 is what i ride but some people will have 700 and then the back wheels are much smaller they're like a 20 inch wheel um and that's just so you can have they're lighter but also your wheelbase is a little bit smaller so you can um, navigate corners better Um, because it is a pretty long bike compared to just like a regular bicycle. Um, But yeah. And then I, I guess I was saying like one of the upgrades was a power meter. So I have a power meter um, and then um, yeah, carbon wheels. I switched to a disc brake right before Tokyo because um, yeah, I just knew there was a lot of like technical corners and be able to have a little bit more flexibility with braking and then also if there's the potential of rain, um, disc brake is a little bit better for that. Um, so yeah, disc brakes there. Um, yeah. The gear it's like, yeah, it's always fascinating and to, you know, get some of those upgrades, I'm sure like the power meter and the disc brakes and stuff, it always, Haley just got a new bike. So <laughs> we've been, I'm like, that's why I'm very into this. Yeah. <laughs> I just went to disc brakes too. And I am, I'm like, 
I, I mean, it was one of those things where I was like, do I really need this? But, and most of the courses I race on are not that technical. So I am. Probably don't, but and then I found tire pressure very. Do you ride like are they are they tubeless tires? Do you have tubes in them? Are they tubulars? Like what kind of? Uh, I mean, this is all this is like new to me about the tire pressure changes. And I feel like I'm like just getting up to speed. But um, I'm curious about your setup as well. Yeah, yeah. So I think on my hand cycle, the front tire was it was a tubular tire, and then the back um, were just tubes. Um, but yeah, you can't, I know people that have like tubeless tires too. Um, I'm kind of like, <laughs> I'm not a big gearhead, but I rely on some of my teammates that are, and we have a really awesome bike mechanic. And so, yeah, like before we left, he was like, okay, these are the tires that you want to get. Um, and you know, like this is the chain that you want to get. We changed, changed out chains. So it was like a ceramic speed, uh, like wax chain, um, yeah, so I, I don't really, I'm like not the most knowledgeable on all of those things. But um, yeah, I guess tire pressure wise, I kind of the same thing. I feel like I'm just starting to switch to like lower tire pressure, like closer to 90. But like, I think that's also kind of high. So some people would do like crazy low tire pressure nowadays. Yeah, I've read some articles that are like, tell you to go really low. And I'm like, I struggle. I don't know. I struggle <laughs> with that because it just, it feels quite soft. But it is, I don't know, these days it is supposed to be the thing to do. So I don't know. Yeah, it's weird because um, in the racing chair, actually, I run like a super high tire pressure, closer to 110. And it, if I do anything lower, it just feels like I'm on like a flat tire. So um, yeah, I think it's like the contrast between the two is so different for me. Um, but yeah, I guess they are different disciplines and different equipment. And so you came in from the hand cycle about a minute 46 down from the leader, Lauren Parker, who you mentioned, and then you had an incredibly fast transition where you made up almost 30 seconds on her. So you're coming out of transition in your racing wheelchair, needing to make up more than a minute on the 5k course. So could you see Lauren, were you getting, it sounds like you were getting splits from people out there. Did you have those right away? And like, what was your thoughts kind of entering the run? Yeah. So we had a coach that was about halfway through, I would say halfway through the run lap. Um, and so that was when I was getting splits and, um, yeah, so I didn't see Lauren in front of me. There are a couple of times on the bike where we like cross paths on the course, but not like her directly in front of me. Um, but yeah, I didn't see her in front of me until the final lap of the run. So kind of the same thing. I knew, I knew what the time gap was at the beginning of the run. And then kind of each lap, I was like, okay, I'm putting in around 20 seconds. That's kind of what I need in order to make. I think I started like a minute 20 back or something. So I knew like, okay, it's going to be like really close that <laughs> I have just about the right amount of time. And, and then, yeah, in the last lap, when I saw her in front of me, it was, um, there's probably like maybe 800 meters left when I saw her and I was like, okay, maybe I can catch her. Maybe I can catch her. Um, but yeah, I think the whole time it was just so fun, like the race, because I, I knew it was going to be close. And so like every time going through transition, everyone was cheering so loud and I was like, this is so cool. This is so fun. <laughs> and so it was kind of fun just to like be able to feel that and recognize that during the race. Do you remember the physical and mental sensations that you were feeling going into that, the blue carpet into the finish? Um, yeah, I guess. So I, I was a little bit nervous because like right before 
going into the blue carpet, there was this downhill and just with, it was like a downhill into a pretty sharp left-hand turn. So you had to be kind of conservative on the downhill. You couldn't just like bomb down it. Um, and so that was, when I first saw her in front of me, I was like, okay, maybe I can get her. And then going down that downhill into the final stretch, I, we were both probably going the same speed. So I stopped gaining ground on her and I was like, oh no, I'm going to run out of room. And then it turned onto the blue, blue carpet. There was about a hundred meters left. And I was like, okay, just put your head down and you know, whatever happens, happens. So just go for it. Um, but yeah, I guess like physical, I don't know. I think I was just like, so, so out of it at that point, but like, uh, mentally it was, it was kind of, um, it was kind of cool because that was, we like me and my coach knew that this is how it could potentially end. And so all of my runs leading into the games were all basically ended with like a 30 second all out sprint. And so that's like how the race ended, which was kind of cool. Do you think that visualization really helped you too? Like, I imagine you were probably, you know, visualizing along every run you were finishing and training with that sprint, seeing that happen, right? Do you think that that played a, a big part of that? Had you always done visualization and you were able to like really incorporate this time or how did that work? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it was all about the confidence and having different gears. I think as an endurance athlete, like I've always felt like my strength is just kind of like settling in and going at a certain pace, but I've never really felt like I have that extra little kick. And so that was something that was so important to work on. And so I think it was one of those things where I turned onto the carpet and I was like mentally okay with the fact that I had to put in this final sprint um, because I know that I had trained for it. Whereas I think if it hadn't, if I hadn't done that training or it had been a couple of years ago, I would have maybe not had that confidence to like actually step up into a different gear. Um, and yeah, and then it could have easily not happened. I mean, I needed every single second and every single inch of the course to catch her. So um, yeah, I, I think it kind of, you really feel kind of validated in all the decisions that you made in your training and your um yeah, just training leading into it because you're like, okay, yeah, I, we worked on this specifically and then it paid out. And it's so rare that that kind of happens in sport. And, and you did, you won the first ever women's paratriathlon wheelchair gold medal. You won by just one second. And for any of our listeners who missed this, it was one of the most exciting finishes that I've ever seen in all of sport. It was, it was just so incredible. I was, I was watching and I think I like my poor dog was concerned because I was going so crazy. I was like, what is happening? But now that you've had a month or so to kind of reflect on that moment, like how, like, how do you feel about that win? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing that stands out for me is that I felt like throughout the whole race, I could hear my teammates cheering so loud for me. And that was so important because the entire lead up or like two months before, but really the past two years, I've been training in a group and with that team. And so it's been such a team effort. And so that day it was just like, I could feel their energy so much and it helped me get through that race and have that extra kick. And, um, yeah, I think afterwards I was at home for a couple of weeks and my dad told me, he's like, Kendall, you know, this race brought a lot of joy to people. And I think that's one of the, like, most special things that someone could have said about a race because like, that's what I felt like. I felt so much joy. And I think 
other people felt joy and my teammates felt joy. And it was because it was like something that everyone had worked towards together. It wasn't just me. It was like such a team thing to get there. Did you know right away that you had the second advantage? Like how did you, how did it unfold? I guess, as you, after you crossed the line, did you realize it right away? No, I didn't. I actually had this big moment of panic because so like right after the finish line, it wasn't that far that there was this basically giant wall and a wall of like camera people. And so, you know, we're going like 17 miles an hour into the finish line and there's not that much space for your brake to work. And the brakes on the racing wheelchair, like aren't super great. <laughs> um, and so, so yeah, I actually hit my brake a little bit before the finish line. Cause I knew, I knew I had passed her, but like, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to run into this wall of cameras and like catastrophe is going to happen. Um, and so, yeah, but then afterwards I panicked because I was like, shoot, I hit my brake too early. And it's going to be one of those things where like, you know, you have a sprinter that like lets up too early in the race and then they get passed at the very end. I was like, that's what was going to happen. And so, so yeah, I had to like look up at the board and, and see that the final like timing, I guess, in order to be sure that I had actually won because yeah, I was like, oh shoot, I messed that up. <laughs> well, I don't oh, think any goodness. Olympic like people are listening to this, but someone should make sure they know for <laughs> the, the next uh, paratriathlon that maybe the wall of like cameras and everyone should be, be a little bit further back because yeah, that would, that would be, yeah, we just don't want that to happen to anyone ever. <laughs> yeah. Also, you're, you're too kind, Kendall. I'm like, you're thinking about them. Like I'm all just like the presence of mind that you had in this moment to be like, um, like don't injure those people. And they're like, thousands of dollars of camera equipment like that was quite nice of you <laughs> well I guess it's also like self-protection don't want to injure myself and in my equipment that's <laughs> so. true that's true that's a fan you're right you don't want to you're like this is my like pride and joy my raising wheelchair and you don't need like a camera through the whatever spokes um okay but I want to go back to you mentioned about being a, you know, summer and winter athlete and the Beijing Paralympics are scheduled for March, 2022. And that's only about five months away. So did you basically transition from winning gold in Tokyo right into working on qualification for Beijing? Yeah. So I, I took a couple weeks off. I knew that I just needed honestly more of like a mental break than a physical break because just the lead up into the games, like there's so much pressure on this one event. It's really just like an emotional roller coaster. So, um, yeah, I took two weeks off, went home for a little bit of time. Um, yeah, just, just hung out with family and friends. Um, and then, yeah, then kind of just started getting back into things. And I feel like it's amazing how much fitness you lose in two weeks. Cause I feel like I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm so out of shape when really like not that long ago, I was in the best shape of my life. Um, but yeah, kind of jumping back into things and then, uh, I actually leave tomorrow. I'm going to, we have our first like team training camp for winter um, over in Germany. Um, so yeah, kind of just our kickoff, formal kickoff, I guess, to the season for Nordic. And then, yeah, we'll have some qualification races um, coming, starting in December, but then all through, uh, I think end of January, maybe early February, we'll have races and then the games in March. And so I can imagine that the aerobic aspects of triathlon, biathlon, and cross-country skiing kind of complement each other. And that would, they would all help the others and, you know, as you're fit for one, but those sports all have some really specific technical aspects as well. So how do you manage to kind of keep the 
winter sports skills sharp while you're focusing on the triathlon and vice versa? Yeah, I think at a certain extent, you just know that like that sport specific strength is going to go away from one season to the next. Um, but yeah, it's something that I've been managing the transition between the two for the last four years. Um, and so, yeah, my two sets of coaches and just like the different teams that I work with, I have a strength coach that I work with throughout the whole year, my nutritionist throughout the whole year. So everyone kind of knows like what the deal is <laughs> between these two seasons. Um, but yeah, there's, I think just managing the transitions between the two seasons is really important because yeah, like you said, the the aerobic capacity is there. And so it's really easy to do, do too much at the beginning on either side of the um, transition. So like at the beginning of the winter season, if I try to go, you know, as much as I could, like aerobic capacity wise, then you just completely burn out your arms. Um, and so, yeah, it's just being really kind of conservative into that lead in back between the two sports. Um, and then, yeah, during the winter, I do a bit of cross training. So I try and swim when I can, or um, I, I'll bring my bike and bike for a little bit, just honestly, to get more time in um, as well during the winter season. Um, but yeah, and then in the, the summer, just between the three, it's a little bit harder to do that cross training. Um, but I do try to keep up shooting because that is such like a mental um mental sport and it's all about kind of repetition and time in the range so that's the one thing that I try to keep in touch with in the summer when I can and so you've mentioned home a little bit and uh, but can you tell us about your training bases and the squads your training partners are you training with two different groups yeah so in the summer I live or I guess not summer but like majority of the year I'm living in Colorado Springs and I train out of the Olympic and Paralympic Training Center. Um, and we have a resident team here for paratriathlon. So there's about six of us, um, and then a couple of teammates will come in and out every now and then. Um, but we train full-time here, and we have a, a full-time resident coach that we're working with. So that's practicing together every single day. Um, and then, yeah, in the winter, I transition, and I'll move to Bozeman, Montana. And we kind of have... Our Nordic is home based in um, Bozeman. And so a lot of the winter athletes on our team will move out to Bozeman either full time um, or just in the winter and we'll train there. I have to put a plug in for Bozeman. We were talking a little bit before yeah. this. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. We, uh... I was like, wait, why have I never seen you at the pool? Because I feel like I know everyone at the pool here. <laughs> but we did discover Kendall likes us in the evening where I'm a little bit more of a morning swimmer. But we may be meeting up. I think we need to meet up. I'll come in the evening for you since you Definitely. have the Paralympics yes. and you're, I, I, I will admit that your racing schedule is a, is a bit more important than my own <laughs> leading to this, this winter. But um, yeah, if you want to, if you want an easy swim partner, I am, I'm happy to come uh, keep you company. I can at least chat on the walls. I'm really yes. good at that. <laughs> no, I feel like, um, yeah, swimming alone is probably the most boring thing ever. So I'm always here for somebody. Yeah, so make sure that happens. And Kendall, we know that. Oh, go ahead. This is a big year for the Paralympics with more NBC broadcast and streaming hours than ever before. And the USOPC paid equal medal money for the first time ever. So did you feel like you noticed more attention compared to past events? Or was there, you know, anything you felt come from that sort of attention and, and everything that came in this year? 
Yeah, I definitely felt like the coverage was great for NBC. Um, yeah, obviously having no friends and family that could be in Tokyo, all of my friends and family wanted to be able to watch the race. So the fact that they were able to watch it so easily, um, like that was huge for me. And then even just like other people that, you know, maybe I was just like acquaintances with or like some old coworkers, you know, they all messaged me afterwards saying like, hey, we watch your race. And that was just so cool to see that, like just bringing more visibility to the Paralympics because, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's exciting to watch and see. And I think um, just bringing visibility to, um, you know, what people with disabilities can do. It's it's like I think it's just so good for, you know, general awareness. And so one of the big news stories back here in the U.S. was about deaf-blind swimmer Becca Myers. She decided not to compete in Tokyo when the U.S. OPC refused her request to bring a personal care assistant to the game. So we mentioned a little bit of your gear earlier, and just on screen, I saw the hand cycle, the racing wheelchair, a day wheelchair that you used in transition, and it seems like that would be a lot of luggage. And it sounds like you had sufficient coaching staff and handlers, but given the pandemic restrictions, did you feel like you had sufficient help in Tokyo? Yeah, no, I did. Um, for sure. Yeah, we had a, like an awesome staff for paratriathlon. Like obviously, the paratriathlon team is only 17 people. Swimming is much bigger. I think they're the second largest team of the US delegation. So um, yeah, we had a good amount of staff that were there with us to be able to help. And um, yeah, I think it does help. I was I was the only wheelchair athlete. So, you know, the only person that had a little bit extra equipment with them. Um, and then, yeah, the other thing that's nice as a wheelchair athlete during the race, we get someone that's, uh, it's called a personal handler. So this person, um, they help with transition. So anything within transition, that's not propelling you forward. So they can help taking a wetsuit off, or you'll see, um, some of the other, like the, athletes that start in the first wave, they'll have a little bit more assistance from getting from like their hand cycle into their wheelchair. Um, and that's all within like what a personal handler can be, can do during a race. Um, so yeah, I had someone with me as well. That was my personal handler. He wasn't in the village, um, just because of those like staffing restrictions, he wasn't allowed there. But, um, when we were at the venues, he was there to kind of help out with things and moving equipment as well. And so is this someone that you know, or was it someone that was just like assigned to you? Because it seemed like you were like, there were people hugging at the finish line and it seemed like they knew people, but I'm assuming. Yes. I mean, they might yeah, just so be happy. They were like, you're, you're, you know, <laughs> it is a happy time. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. So my handler that I brought, um, was he actually started, um, Dare to Try, which is a paratriathlon organization based out of Chicago. And so he was one of the co-founders of that organization. Um, so one of the people that got me started into triathlon. Um, so, yeah, it was super cool that he was able to come and be a part of my Paralympic experience because he was there from day one. So, yeah, that was really special to have him there. And we've talked to you a lot about your gear. So, you know, we're always curious with um, different kind of entities within triathlon, like the sponsor situation, right? For paratriathlon, are there any companies you'd like to give a shout out to? Are there any dream brands you'd like to work with? Things like that? Oh man. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not sponsored by any gear places, but, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess I, well, I guess one thing that was pretty cool. Um, so 
maybe specific to paratriathlon in the wheelchair class, we can always use wetsuits, wetsuit bottoms. So regardless of the water temperature, so Tokyo is obviously really hot, um, but in the wheelchair class, you could wear wetsuit bottoms. And that's just to kind of level out the different amounts. Like most of us aren't kicking, but some people can kick a little bit. So it kind of levels out the playing field there. Um, but yeah, so Roka actually made me a pair of like custom wetsuit pants. Um, so I think that was pretty critical because, yeah, most of the time you're, if you're buying a pair of wetsuit pants, they're not really made for someone that has, you know, a spinal cord injury where maybe they have like smaller legs and they're just like really baggy. So they made me a custom pair, which was a pretty cool project. Very cool by Roka, but we need to get some um, other gear companies involved here. I mean, that was an incredible, <laughs> incredible race. I feel like you are far, you're, you're far from finished. And so if, um, hopefully we have some, you know, some companies listening that, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, you might have a manager, but otherwise I'm like, I could put you in touch. <laughs> I'm happy to help there. <laughs> My fees are very low. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but um, Kendall, okay. So you're about to head to Germany. Can you just kind of walk us through kind of your training in like what are the next couple months as you, as you prepare for Beijing, like when do you find out when you made it? Because I know pair, like pair try, it was fairly close to the games. Is it going to be similar? Like just a couple months out? Yeah, I think so. I'm trying to re remember exactly when we, I think it was like January last time for the last game. So I would think a similar timeline um, as well this year. I should probably know <laughs> more exactly, but I it's don't. It's hard. Things are hard these days. Like yeah. the pandemic has thrown everyone off. And it's like, I was just talking to a friend, like you make plans, but then you're like, I hope this happens. So yeah, yeah you're, but so January, and then it's like, so you plan like you're going to make it. Is that just how you mentally approach it? Yeah, I think so. And I think I know like we have a certain number of spots on our team for women and um, just kind of based on past performance. Like obviously you can't bank on that, but um, I know that I have pretty good shot of making the team. So, so yeah, really for me, it's more focused on kind of like training um and trying to you know be as best prepared in march rather than having to like really be hyper focused on a qualifying event or something so that's you know always the best i guess a good luxury to have um so that you can really just have that games as your focus and kendall uh we don't want to take up any more of your time as you clearly have a lot to prep for and get ready for ahead but um you know how can everyone follow you as you enter the, you know, switch from the transition of summer games towards winter games prep? Yeah, I mean, so I'm not a big social media person, but you can follow US Paranordic on Instagram and they post lots of things. Um, so yeah, that's probably the best bet or just Team USA. Um, yeah. Well, thank you so much. And we will wish you the best of luck. Congratulations on this gold medal. We wish you best of luck on the road to Beijing. Awesome. Thank you so much. The Iron Women Podcast wants to give a huge shout out to Orca Sportswear for their continued support in 2021. As someone who isn't a natural born swimmer, my choices for swim gear are super important. Orca has me ready to battle for every second I need in the water with the open water, triathlon, and swim run wetsuits. They also have safety buoys, goggles, cold water caps, and booties. You name it, they have it. The code IRONWOMEN15 will get you 15% off, so head to orca.com today and let's get ready to swim in 2021. 
The Iron Women podcast is grateful to Zelio Skincare for their continued support of the podcast. I'm always excited when I start pulling out the Zelio Sun Barrier more and more because that's a sure sign races are around the corner. And I'm going to be happier than ever using my Zelio's Race Relief Cold Therapy Muscle Gel because it means I actually got to do an in-person race this year. You can get your own Zelio Sun Barrier Race Relief Shower Products and Chamois Cream for 15% off with the code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com. Okay, Alyssa, do you want to know Kendall's five-kilometer run split I, um, from the Paralympic Games? Haley, I definitely do because she mentioned she was going 17 miles per hour going into that final sprint or coming up to the the finish line. And I can't even wrap my head really around what kind of speed that would be and like what that final time would end up being. So, so yes, tell us what that 5k run split ends up as. She went a 12.55 5K. 12.55. And I know 17 miles an hour. Can you imagine putting the treadmill on 17 miles an hour? (laughs) No, my treadmill taps out at at 11. So, and even that is like too painful for 30 seconds sometimes. So um, I can't, I literally cannot imagine what it would, what it would be like to be able to move that speed. So um, really cool and, and super speedy. That's like, yeah, that's moving. And I can see why she was maybe a little concerned about uh, what could happen up ahead if, if she just kept on rolling through? Definitely don't want a collision. And I do always, that was such a good question because I do always wonder about sometimes you see athletes come across the finish line in these really, really close races. And it seems like they definitely know that they won. And I'm like, how do they know? Like, even if there's a screen there, I'm like, how do they have this like ability to like, look at that and see, and maybe it's because I've, um, I've come from swimming and a lot of the times in swimming, I mean, you, you don't know until you like touch the wall, look up the clock and then you see like the number next to your name. And I, yeah, you have to like, and in backstroke, you have to like, as I said, flop yourself back over, (laughs) clear your goggles. Like your goggles are like fogged up surely by then. Right. And it's like, yeah, you're like seeing nothing. Right. So it's like, I can see how in swimming it would definitely be, you'd be less aware. Yeah, but um, so it was kind of refreshing to hear Kendall oh, realize she wasn't totally aware. So, because I don't know if I would be aware. Like, I don't think I've ever had quite that close of a finish in a triathlon. Have you? No, my closest, I was like, um, I think maybe less than a minute one year when I was going for a Kona spot as an age group racer. But, and, um, but not, yeah, that's still longer than, longer than a second. <laughs> Yes. I've been like 10 seconds and 10 seconds is like a, it's a lot of time. I've been 10 seconds behind. It was like Sue Hughes. I think we've had her on the show. I was 10 seconds behind her once, I think for a while. And it was like, I think when you look at it afterwards, you're like, it's only 10 seconds. And I'm like, it was actually quite a big distance and we weren't going 17 miles an hour, but maybe it was, it's a bit, I I knew, I knew I was behind, (laughs) but, um, that was still incredible finish. If anyone hasn't seen it, I highly recommend, uh, you can probably find it on YouTube. I, I know the replay is on NBC sports app. So if you're able to get onto that, um, it's the, it's the paratriathlon wheelchair race. It's, it's incredible. It's, it will make you jump for joy again, even if you, even if you've already seen it, it's, it's so, so inspiring. So thank you to Kendall for sharing her story and we wish her the best of luck on in Beijing. I mean, I can't believe we're already talking about another Olympics and Paralympics in a few months. I know that is crazy. Time is flying by and time will especially fly by in these last few hours today. If you have not submitted your outspoken summit award nominations for the women in your life. So get on your computer, 
take care of that. And then while you're doing that, just send a mailbag question in <laughs> ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. Alyssa, <laughs> I hope you have a lot of mailbag questions. Um, so the big side dry spell. I will uh, talk to you next week. <laughs> Bye, Haley. You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Live Feisty Media and is edited by Lindsay Glassford. Thank you to our sponsors, Noon Hydration, Prevenix, Zelio Skincare, Form Swim Goggles, and Orca Sportswear. You can find all websites and discount codes in our show notes at ironwomenpodcast.com.